Welcome back to the Cape Cod Pod. This is your host, Jeff Ponce. As always, alongside me is one of our college baseball analysts, Peter Flaherty. He's back live in the Cape. Pete, man, how's it going? How's the last it's, week been now that you've it, returned from Omaha? <laughs> it's been excellent to kind of continue the college baseball season, so to speak. There has been a new influx of guys coming in from Omaha, coming in from Super Regionals. It's a little bit of a renewal of talent after the departures for the MLB draft, for the combine, Team USA, all kinds of variables now that the league has to deal with. So excited to be back. It's hard to believe that we're just about halfway through the season, but I'm sure that the second half will be just as exciting, if not more than the first. Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, I'm out here actually in uh, in Seattle, Washington for the futures game and the draft on Sunday, I'll be back on Monday and there's no minor league games until Friday. So my plan is to uh, get back down there Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, see some good games, see some players that I haven't seen before, uh, which is, I feel like there's been a big influx of players since the week I was there it was kind of the final week for a lot of these pre-draft guys. Um, so it's, it's kind of interesting to see some of the names that are popping up. We'll talk about a few, uh today as we sort of roll through what's happened over the last week as we always do though we always talk some standings here at the top of the show um not a whole lot has changed Katuit's still the top team in the league uh 15 and 7 they have 30 points they're followed in the west division by Bourne who's 12 9 and 1 with 25 points Hyannis is uh just a, a, a one point above 500 at 10 10 and 1 uh Wareham Gateman are having a better year, I think, than they had last year. I know the record isn't great, but 9-11-2, Falmouth 8-12-2. Um, I think that, that division is still very much up for grabs. Uh, I'm not going to count out Bourne. Certainly wouldn't count out Hyannis. Katuit, you know, is obviously in a great spot. But I do think that the four teams below Katuit, really, if somebody gets hot for a few games, it could shake out in a way that could be really interesting. I wouldn't count out any of these teams, though Falmouth has been down. They're a really talented squad, and they have some players we're going to talk about later today uh, that have been really, really good. Um, any thoughts on the West division there whatsoever? I know you're you're out there in the West seeing a lot of those games. I Yeah, so I'm with you. I think that it is an extremely talented division top to bottom. Like you said, Katuit's in a good spot with 30 points. They're up five on Bourne, who's the next closest team. Um, but then outside of that, you know, Hyannis is right there, nine points, you know, that's only four and a half games back. And with so many head to head matchups against teams in the West, it's going to be pretty easy to make up ground. If you know, they, they get on a roll here, Falmouth, I have my eyes particularly on Bourne and Falmouth, um, Bourne, they're leading the league in hitting, um, they're hitting 283, I believe. And the next closest team is Falmouth at 255, um, they can really, really swing it. Born um, obviously with Bender and Bodine, that dynamic duo from Coastal, and then they have a really good supporting cast with guys like Jonathan Bastine, um, Kendall Diggs, uh, Garrett Michelle. They, there, you can't really take a pitch or a hitter off in that lineup. And then Falmouth, for my money's worth, they're the best lineup I've seen on this to this point on the Cape. And I know that the standings might be deceiving with that, but. I think that they're really starting to hit it, hit their stride. 
And last night, I think I saw three top hundred college bats or college players in general, uh, potentially four or five um, for next year's draft. Obviously, with Travis Bazana at the top, who I think, and I know he's a personal favorite of ours, but I think that if he plays shortstop for Oregon State and does what I think he's going to do with the bat, there's one one upside. At the very least, he'll be in the conversation for it. Kyle DeBarge from Louisiana, they had him at third. He's I was very impressed with him. He sprays line drives all over the field, and I know we'll get into it later. But um, Falmouth, I think, is really gonna. I think that they're about to explode. Um, and then I worry just a little bit about Wareham. The kind of the trend is not their friend. Um, they lost a lot of arms, and then offensively they're still pretty good. But I'm kind of looking at who these other teams are bringing in, and mm-hmm. as opposed to Wareham and, and who they might be losing. So I think that it's less so them being a bad team and more so, you know, Falmouth is really going to start to hit its stride. Hyannis is a great team. Bourne's a really good team. And Enka Tewitt's up there at 30 points compared to just Wareham's 20. So um, they, the Gateman, I think, have to pick it up. They got a key win last night. And then shifting focus out east, really nothing changed from our last podcast. It's still no. YD and Harwich jostling up at the top. And then, Orleans and Brewster right there, and then Chatham bringing up the rear. So, really the same as last week in the East. Uh, YD with a little more separation over Harwich, but as it is all as it is every season, I think that the East is going to be. We're not going to know the division winner in the East probably until the last two, three, four days in the season. And let's talk about this a little bit because Chatham is the biggest brand in summer ball. I've had some people. I know we've said that before, but. I've had some people even say that to me, um, you know, that they were a little shocked at, at how bad Chatham has been. Um, we were discussing a little bit on run differential and just sort of where they are at this halfway point of the season. They're not going to set a worst, uh, a record for the worst run differential. Um, and we don't have the specific record, but I know if we go back to 2021 with Hyannis and 2019 with Hyannis, which were pretty difficult or tough teams. Um, they both had run differentials by the end of the season that were above a hundred Chatham is at negative 44 right now. And just to put this into perspective for our listeners, there are four other teams with a negative run differential as we are recording. Harwich is negative three. Orleans is negative three. Hyannis is negative eight right now. And Wareham is negative two. Combine those together. That is negative 16 from those four teams who have negative run differentials and Chatham on their own laps them. With forty with a negative forty four run differential, they are three and seven in their last ten. They are six thirteen and one overall this season. By far the lowest point total uh, in the the Cape Cod Baseball League. What where do we go from here with Chatham? Because it feels like there's been plenty of talent on this team over the last couple of years, but they have not met expectations, which is unfortunate because. Chatham is a building that consistently fills up. They do a great job of merchandising. They do a great job in terms of game day operations. If you're going to go to a game with your family, it's one of the best parks in the Cape to go to see a game, particularly out there in the Eastern Division. Um, later games, too, so you can go have some dinner and then actually go to a baseball game afterward. If you're just a fan staying there in Chatham. So there's a lot of positive stuff to the Chatham experience, but the, the field on the team, the team on the field, excuse me, I'm, I, English is my first language, uh, it hasn't necessarily been meeting expectations and I don't know, where do we, where do we go from here? Because this team has been pretty bad. I think that's a question that coach holiday is also trying to answer because 
Sure. They've struggled for the last two to three seasons, two seasons for sure. Um, and I think that we saw it last year with Hyannis um, and how they were able to, to have a really excellent season. And obviously a lot of that is due to the talent on the field and, and the players that were brought in. But I think that the, the motto across the Cape league should be that continuity is key because I think if you can get a group of 20 to even 23 players, 20 to 23 guys who, you know, once they get there are not going to leave for the summer, they can actually become a team as opposed to Chatham who this year and last they've had an ample amount of talent. It's just, they've had so many guys coming in and out, in and out, in and out. It's hard to not be 30 individuals as opposed to one unit of a team. So I think going forward, not just for Chatham and across the Cape league, um, and it's going to be a, a a difficult trend to reverse or to shift. I think as far as adding draft eligible guys go, we've already seen teams stray away from it. Um, I, I think that you got to, I, I think just take all freshmen and sophomore and with very few exceptions, um, you can add a draft guy who is very likely not to sign or is coming there with the intention not to sign yep. um, and is going to stick it out for the whole summer because otherwise you're going to have, you're going to be looking at three to four really different teams throughout the summer. You'll have your pre-draft team, post-draft, um, USA, and then the portal is another variable. And when, if a guy enters the portal, from what I've seen on the Cape, if a guy enters the portal while he's up there, it's basically like he's going home for the draft or he's going to Team USA because he's going to want to take visits. He's going to want to visit the schools. And then once he does all of that, he's not going to come back. So that adds a whole new element. Um, and a, and sometimes a lot of it is just the luck of the draw. Sometimes you get a really good crop of freshmen and sophomores. Um, not a lot of pitchers who are going to hit their innings limits. Not a lot of guys who enter the portal. You kind of thread the needle a little bit with getting really talented players, but not talented enough, or that's poor phrasing there. You get really talented players and you luck out with USA that they don't get picked to, um, to attend training camp. So, some of it's luck of the draw, but I think for Chatham going forward, and I know Coach Holiday's addressed this, um, getting continuity on its roster is going to go a really long way, I think. Um, I, and unfortunately, in 2023, mm-hmm. we're already at the halfway point. It might be too far gone this year, but going forward next year and and beyond, I think they got to shift their focus a little bit to um, to getting to that 20 to 23, 25 guys, however however many it is, to to stick it out for the whole way. And I know we talked about this uh, off air and I talked to, uh, to Sean Campbell, the executive director of uh, the MLB Draft League last week with Matt Pajak and one of my other podcasts, 90th Percentile. But I do feel like some sort of ruling on draft eligible players that are truly like putting themselves out there to sign in the draft should go to the MLB Draft League. That should be where those guys head, you know, Maybe you'd, and we've seen guys like you know we brought up a couple like Carlson Reed and Madagal Cotto who were guys who were here last year. Madagal Cotto actually started the Cape League All Star Game uh, for the West Division. Um, having maybe those guys here the prior summer and then pre-draft that things don't go necessarily the way that they hoped or there was an injury or whatever. Um, having them head to the MLB draft league, I just think it's better. That's not to say every draft eligible player, because as you said, they're going to be players that don't sign. I use the example of um, Drew Conover 
um, off air of a guy that, you know, ended up going back to Rutgers or whatever. Uh, was he actually at Seton Hall and then transferred to Rutgers? Am I correct about yeah, that? Yeah, so he entered okay. the Cape League. And then didn't sign. Yep, exactly. And he'll go a little bit higher this year. I think he was a 17th round pick of the Tigers or somewhere around there last year. Um, those guys are fine because they pr- you they probably know ahead of time that I am not going to sign at the draft. There's some guys that it might be on the edge. But even with those guys that are on the edge, they get released in the draft league because they can't join the independent league. They're going to go back to school. They could sign with a Cape team, right? Because they would be a free agent more or less because they wouldn't be locked into a contract with any CBL or Futures League or Northwoods or any of the ones that the Cape Cod League has that deal with. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I think to for to to be eligible to play in the Cape League, you have to have at least one year of eligibility left mm-hmm. um, in college and then obviously to not be signed to another summer league, specifically um, and especially the Northwoods or the NECBL. And then if you're not, if, if you don't, if you fit in each of those criteria, um, you're, you're good to go. Yeah. And someone would sign them. We see guys come on in late July all the time as someone gets hurt and injured. I mean, whatever, it happens all the time. So I kind of wonder if that's maybe the better function is not to have these guys out here pre-draft um, and just see how, how it works. Cause it seems like it's added another wrinkle of complication with every, right at the same time that everyone's still trying to figure out how to sort of manage the portal and all the questions that come with that. So it's a, it's a changing landscape in the Cape Cod league, but I do think there's still a lot of value um, for seeing these guys hit with, with wood bats and, and perform, et cetera. So really interesting stuff there. Let's get into some of the players though. Why don't we do that? Uh, We'll talk a little bit about Travis Benzana. I know that you saw him uh, over the last couple of days, if I'm not mistaken, or at least a few times over the last handful of days. Um, playing for Falmouth here, Oregon State player. Uh, had he been an American, he's from Australia, and uh, came over here after high school. One of the first true direct Australian prep players to go to a Power 5 uh, baseball school. Um if he was American, he would be in the collegiate national team. I don't think there's much question about that. I uh, love this guy. I've interviewed him, talked about him quite a bit. Absolute dirt dog. Incredible plate skills in terms of bats of ball skills, but also plate discipline and pitch You know, recognition, just a really discerning eye, never really expands the zone. And he hits his strikes really hard, man, to steal a phrase from the Yankees. He does some damage. Uh, somebody that's done a lot of work, actually was supposed to be in Falmouth last year, decided to sort of bang out on coming here to the Cape and spent the summer at driveline working on bat speed. And it paid some dividends this year uh, with his team. So talk to me a little bit about Benzana and what you saw. Yeah, I, I came in with really high expectations. I know he's a personal cheese ball of both myself and you. Um, and I was blown away. Uh, I mean, it's an elite athlete. He moves really, really well. Um, I'm surprised they actually haven't stuck him even in center yet, just to let him run around and let the athleticism really play. Um, but I think he should, and hopefully play shortstop next spring for Oregon state, but in the box, I mean, he's in complete control, uh, regardless of the talent on the mound. Um, he's in complete control of the box, sees the ball really, really well out of the hand recognizes spin incredibly well, has some really, really advanced and mature takes at the plate. Um, even again, what, what I was very impressed by last night and it's weird to say, um, but could I think they punted the game. 
um yesterday they were getting smoked but they so they punted the game they threw a couple of position players and bazana got up um and in a against a position player especially in a summer ball setting it's going to be really easy to to kind of lock out and and taking it bad off but you would have thought it was the top of the first inning and and he was leading off the game um every single pitch he was engaged again same same super active takes um, and I thought that just speaks to his makeup and, you know, he's a, he's a plus plus guy off the field, as you alluded to, but the bat speed is double plus. He's a really physical player. He's super explosive. Um, there's impact there, both obviously with metal and with wood. Um, and I mean, everything he hit was, I mean, he, he pulverizes the baseball to all parts of the yard and on a line, um, posted multiple hundred mile an hour exit velos. And his home run uh, off the bat, he thought he he thought he didn't even get it. He thought it was a miss hit. Um, he kind of like said like a dang it or uh, whatever it was as he was running out of the box. And, and it's and it sailed over the fence. So uh, it could not have been more blown away by Bazana. Uh, and I really like his swing. Um, it's a it's a really direct level path. Mm-hmm. Um, really gets into his lower half. And um, yeah, I'm just. I was very blown away by him, and and anytime I get the opportunity to catch him again, I'm 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 going to be jumping at it. Yeah, quick and fluid. That's how I would describe that uh, that bat path as well. Here, let's put it into context for some of the listeners out there. We had two standout players last year that were a similar sort of second base, and maybe they could play a little shortstop, but probably not. Profiles that both had big bats in Matt Shaw and Tommy Troy. How do you stack Benzana up? against Troy and against Shaw, both sort of relevant names right now because they're going to be going pretty early in the MLB draft on Sunday. That's a great question. And that's a really <laughs> tough spot. one. Oh, man. Yeah, I totally put you on the spot here. I, you know, it's funny. Um, I think he's probably most similar to Shaw just because of the speed element of it and the things that he can do in the base paths. I think I like the bat a little bit more than I like Shaw's bat. Left-handed hitter. Uh, I think there's probably, if it's not equal impact, Shaw maybe gets a slight tick there, maybe slight. I'd even have to look at the, the underlying exit velocity data numbers to be able to say that for sure. I do think Benzana has better played skills, which says a lot. Yeah, honestly, I it would be by the skin of his teeth, but I'd probably take Benzana. I'd probably go Bazana, Troy, and then Shaw. Um, like you said, I like the Bazanas, love the Bazanas left handed hitter. And then I think the approach is a separator with him. Um, the swing decisions are outstanding. Um, there was, a, again, just another bat, whereas against Rafe Schlesinger on Katuit, who, for those listening who are unfamiliar with Rafe, uh, he's a low, low slot, borderline sidearm lefty pitcher, 91 and 94 with a really good slider. Yep. Um, and he was. I mean, he threw the kitchen sink at Bazana. It was, you know, really good sliders on the other half, bust him in with a fastball. Yeah. All Bazana his fastball just, runs a ton, and it's a tough arm angle on a lefty. Like it's big time. It's like big Chris Sale kind of, but with like a with a two seamer, you know, like <laughs> exactly. And all Bazana did it was just spoil, spoil, spoil. <laughs> and then a couple of really good spits. And I think he drew like a nine pitch walk or or the bat ended with him, you know lacing a 103 mile an hour line drive to center field. So um I I I'd take Bazana over the three over um over Troy and Shaw, but it is really close. 
Awesome. Yeah, it was an interesting question to bring up. All right, uh, let's take a quick break here. We'll be right back in a moment. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we're back. All right. Let's talk about a little history that is approaching potentially. It's a combination of a big power hitter who gets to play his home games at Red Wilson Field. That's Hunter Hines. We talked about this a little bit last week. I think we talked a little bit about it the week before. But we kind of discussed this specifically. You did a little digging. Hines looks like he is about to be the first player with double-digit home runs since Bobby Dahlback did so. Is it 2015 that Dahlback did that or 2014? I, I 2015 and I was so surprised when looking wow. up the stat. I mean, this is really like our weekly, like our weekly Hunter Hines segment. Hunter Hines update. It is crazy what he's doing. Um, and the Cape league, both this early in the season, I guess you could still say. Um, and then also just the fact that he, is, it's barring something, I think pretty unforeseen will be the first player in, in eight seasons to hit 10 home runs in the Cape league. And that says a lot given the talent that's come through here. I know you before the show mentioned what about Locklear and Delauder, Delauder and Locklear each got, they got held up at nine. So nine seems to be a tough roadblock to clear. Uh, but Heinz, uh, I, I think is gonna, he'll leap over it and he still leads the league with 27 RBIs in 21 games. He, I think he, he leads the league by a pretty decent margin. Grant Hussey's in second with 20. And then as far as the home run race goes, he's I think you can kind of say at this point he's running away with it because he's got eight and the next closest hat next closest hitter has three. So uh I he hasn't quite clinched the the home run champion crown yet. Um, but I mean I think it's very reasonable to say that he's gonna be the home run king at the end of the year. Yeah, it would seem like that is a foregone conclusion. But uh, it surprised me. It surprised me that it's been, whatever, eight seasons since somebody had double-digit home runs, or is it seven because of the 2020 year? But either way, like, it's wild to me to think that it's been that long since someone's had double-digit home runs with all the players that have come through. I mean, we're talking about guys that I think have had double-digit major league home runs (laughs) over that period that have played here for a full summer since then, right? Like... You know. Yeah, no, I mean, there are guys who down here will hit 
one to three home runs. And I mean, Pete, a lot like notoriously Pete, a lot, the, the argument everyone loves is that Pete Alonzo hit no home runs. And now everyone, everyone knows what Pete Alonzo has done at the big league level. So it's not necessarily a harbinger of, of what's to come. Um, but it's certainly very impressive what, what Heinz is doing at this point. And I I'm really curious to see if he can eclipse Dahlbeck's 12 home runs, which I think is going to be a really, really tough task because he'll need, I mean, Hey, he's on pace to do it, but he's still got to hit five more. And then if he, if he gets 13 home runs, we'll have to do a little bit more digging to see when the last time someone hit 13 home runs was, but uh super impressive start for Heinz. Yeah. Um, again, figures to be the, the centerpiece of Mississippi state's improved lineup next year. He already hit 20 home runs this spring. And again, profiles to be a 20, 25, maybe even 30 home run type hitter next year. So um, top, top three to four round draft talent in my mind, even with the first base profile. Not bad coach. I'd have to agree there. Uh, pretty good stuff. So he's an interesting one. I actually haven't seen YD yet. So that's going to be one of the first teams. I'm going to make sure I see them in Harwich. So well, check the schedule. If they're playing each other, that might be a nice little uh, twofer that I can get out to one of those parks and uh, get my first looks on both of those teams. But uh, speaking of which, um, Harbich has, I think, a returning player, uh, switch hitter Ethan Anderson from UVA. Um, heard some good things about him. I think he's had multi-hits in his first two games since returning when he was here prior to the collegiate national team, correct? Am I yes. speaking out of turn there? Talk to me a little bit about Anderson because he's somebody that I have not seen other than, you know, some UVA games on television this year. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I haven't seen the Ethan Anderson Harwich team yet. Um, I saw Harwich really honestly four days ago and I think it was the night before Anderson arrived. So <laughs> a little annoyed at that, but I'll catch them a couple more times this year. Um, but he was excellent this spring uh, for Virginia at 375 with 15 home runs and 26 doubles. Can really, really swing it. Uh, it's impressive bat speed. <laughs> impressive bat speed uh, extends really well through the baseball, um, and it's it's legit impact. And we've seen it already, even with Wood. So, um, and then it'll be easy to dream on the type of numbers he'd be able to put up in a full summer. Um, but I think even with a little more than half of a summer, uh, he's going to end up with uh, with a, a really impressive slash line as we close out the summer and. The profile is a little confusing because I think he's more of a first baseman than a catcher. Uh, interested to see what they do with him, obviously, given the departure of Kyle Teal to the MLB draft. Uh, so I think that they might try him behind the plate, but it's a bat first guy. Uh, I'd, I'd give him probably, gosh, it might be an aggressive tool grade, but I give him I give him six hit and probably fifty borderline fifty five raw power. Mm. Um, and I I think you know he's already shown off the impact with the wood. So a very fun player and a top two round pick in my eyes at least uh, next summer. Yeah, absolutely. I'm interested to see him. I've heard some good things. Um, let's talk about another player that I think you've mentioned off air uh, will make your top 100 college players for 2024. And that is uh, Carter Matheson on Katuit. Um, it's Ohio state. Is that correct? Indiana. Same. Indiana. Conference. I knew it was, I knew it was the right conference, <laughs> right colors. Kind of like there was, I knew his uniform, his hat is red. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Miss Lippy's car is blue. Billy likes milk. I'm kind of like, that's where my <laughs> mind is right now. 
I think I just missed Matheson uh, in the week that I was there. I think he either reported that day or a couple days after. Um, so talk to me a little bit about Matheson and uh, why you like him so much. Yeah, so I mean, you look at his stats so far, he's hitting 343. Only one extra base hit to his name, but if you get out and watch him play, especially in batting practice, uh, it's a really, really good body. He's about 6'2", 210 or so, and he's absolutely chiseled. Um, and he moves really, really well. They've had him have, they've had him out in center field after the departure of Brett Bateman. And, and he's been really impressive. Uh, he's got range into either gap takes the, takes an outstanding route to the baseball. Um, and he's, he's got a plus throwing arm. So I think that I I've been pleasantly surprised with how he's looked in center field. And if he can prove that he's a center field, which he, center fielder at the next level, which to this point, he's proving that he can, he can be. Um, that's going to obviously help his stock mightily. And then shifting focus to the offensive profile. Um, again, you only see the one extra base hit, um, but you watch him take BP as easy plus power, especially the pull side. Um, really easy backspin on the baseball. Uh, hits the ball in the air with authority. Uh, and then I, I think the plate discipline again has been probably most impressive. You'll see him kind of sell out Oh, or in a really plus count on a fastball and kind of get a little long and swing and miss, but then he'll, he'll gather himself, get back within his approach. And I mean, really grind out at bats. Uh, he's, you kind of see it with the 11 walks to seven strikeouts, but the plate discipline is very impressive. Recognize the spin out of the hand really well. Um, doesn't get too far out on his front side. The takes are really good ones. It's not kind of like, you know, he's, he gets buckled or, or, or guesses wrong on a pitch and it's, it's kind of a lucky take. I mean, he's in control of the box. And um, I think again, when looking towards 2024 and there's still half a summer here and, and obviously all of his college season, but I think he's a, again, fits in that top three to five round range really well. And then obviously with the ability to play himself up, maybe, but maybe even into a day one pick, if he can get into his power a little bit here and then, and then really have a breakout year at Indiana. Cause he had a good year for the Hoosiers this year, hit over 300 with 10 home runs. But um, if he can get into that, you know, 15 to 20 home run range, which he can do, he at 19 is a true freshman. Um, if he can kind of put it all together with the approach and the power uh, and especially if he plays center field next spring, I think we're looking at a top again, two to four round guy. Interesting. Another player on that team um, that, has been impressive, particularly with the power. There's a lot of impact there. Really interesting player is uh, Cole Mathis of College of Charleston. They picked the right, did I get the right college there? Was that actually correct? <laughs> yes. I didn't have yeah. it in front of me, and I was like, it's College of Charleston, isn't it? Because um, <laughs> I'll like constantly get like those guys coming, like, is it College of Charleston or is it uh, UNC Wilmington? Because I always feel like those are like the two mid majors that Katua always has like pretty good players from. Um, but anyway. Cole Mathis hitting for some power. I believe he's a two-way guy as well, but much more heavily on the position and hitting side of things. Uh, but I know that he's been on the mound, I think, as well. So talk to me a little bit about Cole Mathis. He's an interesting player for 24 as well. Yeah, super, super interesting player. Um, and spoiler alert, he's also going to be on the top 100 college guys um, for 2024 after what he's done this summer. Um, but it's a, it's a very interesting profile. He's got three home runs, which both leads to it. And then obviously way behind Hunter Hines is actually second in the Cape league. 
tied with probably like 12 other guys, I'd say, but tied for second in the Cape League. Um, it's a really easy swing, low effort, but it's just, you know, he backspins the ball to all parts of the field. Uh, really good hand action, level swing. Um, I, I like the approach. There's a little bit of swing and miss and a little bit of trouble with spin. Um, but he hammers heaters uh, and and really punishes mistakes. And I think that the profile, it might be a little limited given that he's a, a right, right first baseman. I think that, you know, when looking at him play and, and looking at the actions and, and he's actually, I think, taking some reps over there, you could maybe move him over to third base. I think he does long-term end up at first, um, which again might limit his draft ceiling, but on the mound, he's also been, been reasonably impressive fastball up to 95. I think the calling card for him is his breaking ball. It's a really big, um, really big curve ball with, with some teeth. So um, I know also data wise, Mathis is a data darling. And I, I think that he, he screams kind of top five round draft pick next year. Um, but to this point, he's, he's been really impressive and um, he, he's only helped himself with the summer that he's having. 100%. Um, definitely a, a really interesting player there and somebody that uh, I'm excited to follow over the next year. Um, good kid as well, you know. Um, all right, let's let's uh, let's wrap it up here. Tennessee and Tony V have been on a recruiting, a power recruiting trip out here in the Cape. Uh, they've signed at least three players that have been out here. Um, some have left, uh, you know, um, uh, Ryan Galaney, correct? Right? How yes. Billy Amick, uh, who is now home after being with Hyannis, Cannon Peebles. So three fairly big signings there for the volunteers, all players that could really impact that offense next year um, in a big way. Um, we saw all these guys put up really good numbers. So talk to me a little bit about that recruiting class for Tennessee and I think days before uh, Peebles and uh, Galaney announced that they were going to be going to Tennessee. I saw Tony V there talking to him. So um, not a huge shock, <laughs> obviously based on a conversation, nothing wrong with that. Um, so sort of interested in your thoughts on, on those three guys and the, and the class that uh, Tennessee is pulling in here in terms of transfers. It's a pretty darn good class. Um, and then obviously with Delaney, I think that he's probably going to get drafted in the first 10 to 12 rounds or so and sign. But still, if he doesn't get what he's looking for in the draft, uh, having Tennessee as a quote-unquote fallback option, or not even that, I don't even think you can call it that, but getting him to campus would obviously be a huge win. And then if they don't, um, fitting into that similar right-right corner infield profile is Billy Amick, the standout transfer from Clemson, um, and also was excellent for Hyannis in his time on the Cape. Uh, so a, a big get there. And then obviously with Peebles, they needed some catching help, particularly offensively. Um, they needed a catcher with some thump, and Peebles fits that mold perfectly at 352 this year for NC State with 12 home runs. A little bit of a slow start on the Cape, but again, a player of his caliber and just kind of Watching him and watching him in the box lately, and and seeing his approach, and obviously for freshmen on the Cape, it is a a really, I think it's the biggest time for some growing pains and for them to go through some struggles that they hadn't gone through at school. So he's experiencing that now, but I, I think that there's some light at the end of the tunnel for Mister Peebles, uh, who I I think will get it going as we 
as, as we progress further through the summer. So an excellent haul for the Vols, both on the Cape and then just in general. Uh, they landed another key transfer yesterday with Dalton Bargo from Missouri. Hit 280 as a true freshman with six doubles and five home runs, who is not on the Cape, but figured I'd mention it just because he fits into the conversation. And next year, he's absolutely going to be on the Cape somewhere. It's just a matter of where. So um, big summer for the volunteers who are looking to to revamp and and make another run at a at a national championship. Yeah, you know, and obviously you're losing some talent this year as well. So should be uh, should be an interesting thing to follow next year. And we got to see some of those guys out here. Anything else you want to touch on? Anything that's gone on in the league since you've been back from Omaha that we haven't discussed so far? Otherwise, we can wrap this sucker up. Yeah, uh, I've, I'm seeing him tonight, but I'm really excited to see Cam Smith from Hyannis. Third base, yeah. fresh and standout at, at um, Florida State. 6'3", 220, looks like a big leaguer. He's sophomore draft eligible. Struggled a little bit at FSU with some swing and miss, um, especially on some spin. Didn't really have the season that I think many were expecting him to have after, after the fall season that he had with and entering the season with some really, really high expectations. But on the Cape, especially recently in the last week, week and a half, has really put it together. Um, he has, I think four multi-hit games, um, in the last week or so. Um, he's also hitting for power. The, the raw power and impact with Smith is, is probably his calling card. And he's, he's really lived up to the hype in that aspect so far this summer with 10 extra base hits, which it's five doubles, two, a pair of triples and, and three home runs. And he's really cut down on the swing and miss and, and looks way, way, way more comfortable than he did even three weeks ago. So I'm excited to see the new and improved Cam Smith. Uh, also on Hyannis, who I'm excited to see is slash and dash specialist Nick Mitchell, who recently committed to Indiana out of the transfer portal from Western Illinois, was excellent for the Leathernecks, which is a great mascot. Uh, he was excellent for them this spring, had a really good summer in the Northwoods. Didn't quite work out in YD, but I think an excellent pickup by Hyannis with Mitchell. Uh, he's gonna he's a problem causer up at the top of the lineup, and and he wreaks havoc on the base paths. So those are two players I'm excited to see tonight, and then really night in and night out. Um, there, you know, there are multiple exciting players on on any team. So uh, that's that's about it for my side. And then also Born, uh, Born, I'll be catching in the next few days, and nice. and offensively they are. I think the best in the league. So uh, talent everywhere you look. And I will be back on the Cape on Tuesday, like I said. And so I'll be chasing some chasing some talent then as well. Be my first uh, post-draft games, which is always kind of a good time as it kind of get into that second half of the season. So looking forward to that. And certainly if uh, you're heading out to a game for the first time, haven't been out there, don't follow these rosters, and you listen to this podcast, feel free to uh, reach out to Peter or myself on Twitter or wherever, email, et cetera, and ask us about some players. Happy to drop some names, some follows, et cetera. It's a, a fun experience, and I encourage you to get out there and take in some Cape games. But uh, for Jeff, for Peter, this has been the Cape Cod Pod on Baseball America. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you guys next week. Mm-hmm.